dare I say that the Toronto Blue Jays had a good week? Tried to tell you, people. I tried to tell you. Despite being swept by the Texas Rangers across four games with the playoffs allegedly on the line, mm-hmm. I'm comfortable saying that the Toronto Blue Jays had a good week. Weekend, for sure. I'm not going to go as far as good week. Uh, when well, I let, me, did... let, me, let me give it to you. Okay. Hold on, hold on. All right. All right. Three and four record for the Blue Jays. Oh, great. Four and three for the Rangers. Four oh, okay. and three. So you lose a game. Yeah. Drop a game in the standings. Great. Texas Rangers. Mariners two and four. Oh, that's worse. Pick up a half game. Yeah. On the Seattle Mariners. Mm-hmm. And right now, if it's just a wash, yeah. wash with two weeks left, kick the can down the road. The Blue Jays are okay. Good week. Okay. In that very particular <laughs> set of circumstances, I feel like I'm getting the Liam Neeson call from Taken. Like, this is a very particular set of circumstances where you're supposed to be happy about a below 500 week for a team that is scratching and clawing to get in the postseason. But yeah, you should be. I, I tried to tell everyone. I did two different shows last week that were strictly... Let's barbecue the Blue Jays, and then we'll sneak in some NFL discussion for for five minutes. We did Memphis barbecue. There was, like, Texas. We got to mix Mm. in Carolina barbecue. All the different flavors. And the whole time we were doing it, I was mentioning to everyone, "Ah, this team... They are the ultimate Godfather three team. Just when they, you think you're out, they suck you back in. It was going to happen. It was all right there. And you know, I don't want to make this about how right I am, but it is about how much we all have overreacted one way or another with this ball club all season. And once again, it is the the confounding week from this team. You go lay not just an egg, but the egg of all eggs against the yeah. Rangers series. You just can't do a thing. And then guess what? The Bad Boston Red Sox, who, yeah, are they, are they, they're bad, they're bad, but they are not, you know, we don't think of them in the same light of the A's, but this is a bad gettable baseball team that they needed some luck, some pulling some things out late in games, but they were able to do it, get the sweep. And at this point in time, all you can do is tip your cap for, for them taking care of business in that part of it. I'm still not willing to uh, move on from the debacle that was the four games against Texas. Yeah. And, and I guess you shouldn't, uh, as much as it is confounding, it is kind of simple, or at least has been simple in the last little bit for the blue Jays. If they play a bad team, they're going to beat them. If they play a good team, uh, they have trouble with them and they have two teams left on the schedule in Tampa and, New York, one of them's good. One of them's playing pretty good, or the other one's playing pretty good. So we'll see what that actually Just means. Just a quick question, Gen- generally speaking. Um, good teams, in the, they're in the playoffs, right? They're they're largely mm. in the playoffs. Drats. But the, but the goalposts have changed, right? The goalposts over the course of the season have changed, where it's just about getting know. in. Rather, it's we ended the season World Series trendy pick, yep. one of the shortest odds to win the World yep. Series. I mean, no one's really talking about that anymore. They're talking about just get no, in. but I think uh, yes, it is all because it's got so dire. It's just get in, but I still think it's not just get in and all right, we move along to next year. No, it's just get in and then find a way to make some noise. Still, I don't think people are expecting that of this team, but I think that when we talk about if we if we rewind to all the conversations, the big picture stuff we were talking about, you know, Wednesday, Thursday during the the depths of that Rangers series, the big picture stuff, all of those conversations, I still think are happening even if this team finds a way and gets in. It's you've got to get to a I mean, at least a division series, maybe a league championship series, if you want to stave those conversations. So I hear what you're saying and the idea that the goalposts have moved and that, yeah, we can't even begin to talk about World Series because it's been far from a guarantee they're going to get into a wildcard one. But I still think when you ask people what needs to happen for this team to 
stay the course or continue on this path they're kind of trudging along with Atkins and Shapiro, I think they need to see more than just getting in as a wildcard team still. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, if this team just makes the playoffs and it's a lot like last year, and listen, it could look a lot like last year. If they get in right now as it's as it Please stands, not it's like Tampa Bay year. at the Trop. It's not, it may not look pretty. It could yep. actually be very, very ugly, and it could be worse than, say, falling short of the 89-90 wins in order to get there. But if they fall into the the last wildcard mm-hmm. spot and they get the Minnesota Twins who by the way have a plus 30 run differential advantage over the Blue Jays like talk about how Minnesota's not a good team well they performed uh, at, at I guess a higher level at least on aggregate score they do have a inferior record at they do play a lot of AL Central teams at least in comparison to the Blue Jays so there should be an advantage there but maybe that's all washed away by the fact that you don't have home field advantage in the playoffs but either way the task is going to be difficult to get beyond or get to something that actually matters and of course again where the goalposts are it's just about getting into the playoffs right now mm-hmm. in terms of this next two-week objective but that would be far from satiating I think if we look at what the expectations were coming in and what needs to happen if the offseason if things don't actually go a surprising route but I talk about goalposts changing we were thinking like 91 wins guarantee 90 probably mm-hmm. 89 might be the mark now and to get 89 wins the Blue Jays just have to go six and six over the last 12 games uh right now in order to get to that mark the Rangers would have to go seven and six the Mariners eight and five just to get to 89 wins so the Blue Jays do have a significant advantage right now Tampa Bay might be playing meaningless games at the end. New York is playing pretty well. They might see Garrett Cole twice. So there are a lot of things here, of course, to consider. But after a strong weekend where nine results go the Blue Jays' way, nine of nine, three being wins against the Boston Red Sox, Mm -hmm. Texas Rangers losing three times to the Guardians, and the Mariners losing three times to the Dodgers, nine of nine puts the Blue Jays back in the second wild card, back with the hammer after coughing up the same hammer with four losses to the Rangers last week. Yeah, uh, I know it was just a ALEs team. They took care of business, but boy, wouldn't it be very fitting for the way things have gone this team if it was an ALEs foe and them losing two of three or heaven forbid getting swept by the Yankees. That is the problem with this team is that I don't think you can sit here and rule that out the way things have gone that, you know, and I, I think we sometimes have trouble talking about this Jays team. It's a point we've all made over and over again. They, it's baseball. It is not hockey. It is not football. It's not a rah-rah sport where it's about getting up for the game. But boy, if there's ever a team that felt like they were ready to take their foot off the gas in a trap series or whatever you want to call it, it is the, it is this Jays team. I have from, I don't know, go back to the beginning of August thought that this was going to be a playoff team. I did not think it was going to be easy, but just the math that's ahead of them there, you know, it is bad baseball teams that all those wildcard teams are playing. It is the Yankees for the Jays. It is the Red Sox for the Rangers and the Mariners have a series with Oakland right Mm -hmm. now. This was a really, you know, we're going to say this about every set of three or four games for the rest of the way, but this is another sliding door series because yeah, it's possible. They all go out and take care of their business, but it's more than, than it's more likely than not that two of those three teams are going to do that, and one of them is going to flounder. And you could easily be looking back at this as the the week that did it. Now, let's be honest: if the Jays lose out to the Rangers, there's only one series we're going to go back and look at. It's going to be that Rangers series. But this is another kind of crucial stretch, and you have easy baseball ahead of you. But guess what? So do the other two teams uh, in your division, or not in your division, but in the wild card race. Uh, yeah, in the chase for the time being, though, uh, the Texas Rangers and Seattle Mariners played each other two more series seven games so it's going to be hard 
for that to go completely against the Blue Jays. Mm -hmm. Like, it can't really go. Nope. The worst thing would be one of them winning one more than the other, going four and three across that. And if one of them, or the, if both of them at least get three wins, whatever way it goes, then the Blue Jays just really have to hold serve and take care of themselves. Yes, these next three games could change how it looks again, but then it might go back into the Blue Jays' favor. So, yeah, if the Mariners get three over the over the Athletics, which should be their goal right now, and the Rangers could certainly get three over the Red Sox team we just witnessed, it could change, but it could change back in the Blue Jays' favor after that. But at that point, you'd have six of your last nine games against the Tampa Bay Rays, and then that might be pretty difficult because guess what? They're still trying to win the American League East. So for right now, as it goes back and forth here, the hammer definitely belongs to the Blue Jays. They just have to play pretty good baseball to get themselves through. They have to avoid uh, embarrassment, humiliation, disaster in order to get through. They really just have to hold serve because the schedule does work in their favor, unlike the tie breaks, which, of course, both don't work in their favor. So it, that's the situation right now. They, well, just, honestly, they just have to play pretty well. They have to take care of their own, and they're going to be okay because the Mariners and, and Rangers do play each other uh, so that's, much. That's why I think best-case scenario, and I know it seems a little counterintuitive because then one of those teams is going to go into the postseason on an all-time high, but I just think you want one of those teams to take care of the other. I think in a perfect world, I mean, I guess we'll have it be Texas now because they're already in, but just have Texas win nine of those 11 games or something is best, best case scenario for this Jays or team. Or five of seven versus Seattle. Right. Seattle can't. Yeah. Can't, I don't think they can come back from that. No, that's exactly it. That's why I say, I guess you'd have it be the Rangers because of the spot they're in there. But yeah, that's the, that's another interesting discussion of the idea of momentum in baseball and how fleeting it can be. Would it, would it scare you to have a team kind of injected in the wild card? I mean, obviously you love for the Jays to to be in that position where they just rip off a a nice little what, what do they have 12 games left mm -hmm. uh, nine and three ten and two of course you'd feel great about that but i do wonder if you'd be willing to get if most of the fan base would be willing to give that to say the rangers knowing that you then have the certainty that the mariners are basically going to take themselves out of the equation i don't know it's a fun little like a uh, monkey's paw question <laughs> and to, you'd, to ask people you'd also there. drop into six in the wild yeah. card and you get the twins yeah. rather than either the orioles or the rays which there's no good matchup there. I know everyone's sitting there going, oh, you'd rather the Twins, and I guess you would, but just the way this Jays team, you know, it's a point that they've made, I've heard on the broadcast a lot this year, that just the way the Jays, their approach at the plate or lack thereof kind of stacks up that, you know, a more kind of traditional pitcher, the, the Twins, they have a lot of Chris Bassett in them, you know, guys who like to throw different speeds and can mix and match, you know, there's two pitches, but they're really, or there's one pitch, but it's really kind of two pitches and we can all of a sudden have eight different pitches to throw at you. Those guys give the Jays a, a lot, a lot of trouble. Not that, you know, you're, you're kind of standard 97 guy can't at times, but yeah, everything you see about the Twins on paper, I think people think, oh, it's not bullies of the AL East. It's the soft AL Central. Central, but uh, careful what you wish for, because I don't think that would be the uh, the cupcake matchup a lot of people kind of have penciled. Uh, that's Brent Gunning, Ailish Forfar, uh, back tomorrow. Uh, I think the reality of the weekend, or one of the big realities of the weekend, uh, is that the Red Sox uh, were a godsend. Uh, Raphael Devers did some, like, Corey Seager, mm -hmm. Aaron Judge, Shohei Otani things. Like, he was really, really big in big moments and made the weekend more difficult than I guess it had been. Uh, but a lot of the things that we've been talking about with the Blue Jays all year, hitting with runners in scoring position, making the plays, uh, making the small, like handling the minutia, doing the small things to win uh, baseball games. That's what really, really, really lacked uh, uh, for the Boston Red Sox. And if 
We're talking about some a moment from the weekend that may have saved the Blue Jays' season. Mm-hmm. And again, that's hyperbolizing what, you know, all these little plays that happen over the course mm-hmm. of the year and how quickly things can change. I mean, Rafaela overplaying that Dalton Varsho yeah. uh, fly ball and allowing the Blue Jays back in it Saturday, allowing them to win that game despite them trying to give it away even after that. I mean, that was such a key moment. And it was a big moment for guys who needed moments. Like, it was a big weekend, rather, mm-hmm. for guys who needed moments. Whit Merrifield having a game-winning hit. It's Chapman. Been a, it's been tough for him. Matt Chapman, it's been tough for him. He got started the week getting pinch hit by uh, for Kevin Biggio, and he has a double off the wall that wins it Sunday. It just seemed like a lot of the guys who needed to have moments, Vlad Jr. included, who mm-hmm. had a string of moments, came through for the Blue Jays. And that is a good thing in the short and immediate term here. Again, the momentum hasn't been able to carry over and really, really build and snowball and make it so. But Blue Jays guys, Blue Jays hitters, Blue Jays performers who needed something to cling on to, well, some of them got it this weekend, and that may portend good things moving forward here, at least had that clubhouse feeling a lot better than it did. Yeah, it's interesting because I think on the surface, you would assume the things that you do would have a bigger impact on you going forward, right? You talk about Maryfield and Chapman coming through. You would hope that that then begets them coming through in some other big spots. But I don't know how many times we had that exact conversation with Vlad Jr. It's proven this that this do- it does that not doesn't happen really happen. This way. Now, maybe this also just goes to the way... I'm wired personally, but I'm such a person that when I feel like I can't catch a break, seeing complete evidence in front of my face, and I think the perfect example of it is that Devers play that you mentioned there. How many times have the Jays gifted teams with that exact play of saying, ah, you know what, you got no business being in this game, but we're just going to boot it away and you can go in the game or we're going to go to extras now and we're going to have to use the whole pen. They've been on the other side of that game so many times this year and to just see, oh, Finally, in a series where we got to have it, we're on the other side of this, a player making an egregious error kind of or, mm. or kind of overplaying a ball there. It just really kind of, I think, just allows you to exhale and breathe. And then you go out, you get the three wins, you're feeling good. I don't think it promises anything. I think the biggest indication of how well the Jays are going to do in this series is how well Kikuchi, Gosman, and I, I forget who's going in the, in, the, in the third game of it are going to go. But the starting pitching is what is going to dictate how well you're going to do. I would love to sit here and say, ah, you get the momentum and the bats are awake and you're feeling good. I've done this too many times to believe that anything from, forget a whole weekend, yes, just yesterday alone can bleed into the future. I'd love to see it, but I've been proven wrong too much. It is about just getting back to a kind of more normal ball club. You have asked so much of your starters all year long. You have to, you don't got, you don't have to go out and score five runs in the first inning so they can really, really put their feet up and know they've got it. You just got to give them a little run support. And it is the thing that they, that this staff has been asking for the offense to do. And maybe, maybe this weekend is the one that, that allows us to all see it happen. Do I actually think that? No, but I think that's what you have to believe the roadmap is if you're a believer in this team. Yeah, and it seems like every single time they capture or harness something some momentum capture a moment there's an off day and there is an off day tonight and it seems like those do not work in their advantage sometimes or at least that's a pattern of the season Mm -hmm. Uh, but a reset uh, nonetheless uh, before the Yankees this week in in clearly a massive series Uh, let us know how you're feeling about the Blue Jays Texas 590-590 include your name and location Uh, how much different does it feel this morning than it did Friday morning uh, when the Blue Jays were still licking their wounds after the Texas Rangers came into town. Uh, Two pitching performance, I think, are worthy of 
uh, underscoring and highlighting. Uh, Jose Barrios Friday night was outstanding. I mean, the most competitive the Red Sox were, I felt the entire series was with Brian Bayo on the mound, who was very, very good and looks like he has some serious stuff that could trouble and did trouble the Blue Jays. But Jose Barrios was flat out better and Vladdy Guerrero Jr.'s uh, a three-run shot was all the offense they would need behind that pitching performance. And then Jordan Romano on Saturday. I mean, he's been asked to give more than three innings uh, quite a few, not quite a few times, but in big spots uh, over the course of the last couple of years here. Uh, and as important a relief appearance, I think he's had all year holding on to that Saturday victory, making sure that Varsho uh, double or triple rather wasn't uh, lost in vain that that mistake actually cost uh, the Boston Red Sox on Saturday in what was a really, really key performance. He wasn't there on Sunday because he had to pitch two innings and Eric Swanson ran into some trouble, but they got the job done anyway on Sunday as well. So Romano and Barrios really highlighting what was a pretty good weekend for the pitching staff. Yeah, well, I'll start with Barrios. I mean, that is what you have. I mean, that's as good a start as you see him from a Jays starter this year, but that's what they've kind of had had to do that has been the very tight rope that they've had to walk all year long and yeah we're going to give Vlad credit for the three-run shot of course all we've asked him to do is have big knocks and in big moments but where's the rest of the team you know just just because Vladdy came through with a three-run knock doesn't mean that you have to and yes Brian Bayo has had a good year yes that's a nice starter that the Red Sox are going to build around and guess what you better get used to him in the AL East you're going to see him a bunch of times but Man, does this not sound like all the shows we did in June where you go, hey, you just got to tip your cap to that, Brian. No, you don't. <laughs> you have a lot of highly paid hitters, and you don't have to tip your cap to them. So we don't need to dwell on it. Vladdy came through. Awesome, awesome what Barrios was able to do. But, again, this is the problem. You've been asking those guys to do it all year long. Romano, a little bit different. They have not pushed him to this extent. I think it's really important to do that. If you're a team that wants to go on long runs, obviously you have to pick your spots and it should be in a time when it's needed, but you need to know if you can do that with your guys. I mean, we've seen this with, with ba- or not with Boston, with Baltimore before Batista got hurt. The idea of, okay, they need to start stretching them out because guess what? doesn't matter how deep your pen is. You're going to need that guy to go more than three outs at certain points in time. The fact that he just allows one base runner to do it proves everything about it. Now, I would say, given how vaunted this pen is, and I think it just goes to show how many options they have that you can get to, what, your third, fourth high leverage guy in Swanson, and that's where you start Mm -hmm. to get into trouble closing it out on Sunday. I think that is just more proof of how deep the pen is, that you still have that guy, given how much you were forced into high leverage spots, but let's not gloss over that. You were forced into high leverage spots by a team we're talking about, rightfully so, not being that good. So, Give them credit. They did everything they needed to. But if you actually delve in and look at it, it is, uh, it's impressive that they were able to fight through and find a way. But was it a super impressive weekend? For certain people, yes. But as a whole for the team, I, 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 don't, I don't know that it's the A-plus grade that it looks on the surface. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say A-plus. Uh, I mean, definitely, as I said, God sent. It's hard to get a A-plus grade when you uh, are, are sort of nip and tuck with a team that doesn't look like it has any ambition or doesn't have any ambition at this point and is just going through uh, the motions. But I will say, uh, you know, they make the right decisions in terms of the bullpen. I mean, a couple of them, you can always quibble, it mm-hmm. seems, with what John Schneider's doing. But probably no coincidence and 
probably a good thing that we didn't see a guy like Trevor Richards over the weekend. And Very they were thing. forced into some spots where it was a little tricky. I mean, when you ask too much from Jimmy Garcia, uh, sometimes it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. When Eric Swanson's got to close out a game, well, sometimes Raphael Devers can take a pretty good pitch and go opposite field and sort of spoil things at least momentarily. Uh, not having Jordan Romano available on that Sunday, like these things all do add up. And against a better team, maybe it costs you mm-hmm. a game. Just having uh, a situation where you're not going to be able to present your best. Um, and because your best or guys who were performing at their best earlier on in the season no longer seem to have it, uh, case in point, Trevor Richards. It seems like these decisions are, and they are more important, but they're becoming a little bit more complicated for John Schneider. And that's because the pitching staff as a whole, not performing I guess in September, like it had previously the bullpen, maybe not as deep as advertised six weeks ago, uh, but they still found a way to get the right guys out there in the right times. And again, didn't hurt that the Boston Red Sox are being the Boston Red Sox right now. I think the last point is the most important one of, yeah, the Red Sox are who, who we thought they were and the Jays did not let them off the hook. They hook lined and sinkered them into, into a three game sweep. I was making this point around the deadline with Schneider that obviously you want to have more choices at your disposal in terms of bullpen depth, in terms of different profiles of guys, but it also really, really illuminates the possibility for us to second guess, you know, before Hicks got added, before Chad Green was healthy, before Cabrera was an option in this pen, it was, now you still had good arms you trusted, but it was a little more straightforward of, okay, yeah, this guy goes in this spot, this guy goes in this, oh, we have, taxing. you have early leverage. Yeah, a ton of taxing. Eric of Swanson guys. just was, he couldn't hold up yeah, and before it, all those additions And you were saw made. exactly what happened there. But now with this team, it's not as clean. It's not as straightforward. I think for me, the things I'm most certain in is that if you have kind of a quote-unquote early save option opportunity in the game be that in the seventh inning sometimes it comes in the sixth I think you do go to Hicks in that spot and I think we've seen that that is kind of the MO with this team you try to save Romano for the lock it down but outside of those two instances there is just a ton of different ways that you can talk yourself into using this bullpen and it is ripe for second guessing. And I'm not saying that to let Schneider off the hook of, oh, what's he to do? He has too many quality options. No, he's supposed to make the right choice. But I think that that is something we are going to talk about a ton. We already have in the month of September and we're, well, I mean, we're more than halfway through it, but it has been a massive talking point with this team of just how many, how many options he has. I mean, we go back to that Rangers series and yeah, a lot of the topic was, or a lot of the talk was about the team, rightfully so, and them getting booed off the field and all of those things. But there were some massive moments in those games where Schneider had missteps with the way he handled the pen, with the way he handled his starters. So it'll be uh, that'll be something fascinating to watch uh, for the last 12 games of the regular season and who knows, maybe some playoff baseball. Uh, we are quick to talk about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. when he is struggling and, and maybe he hasn't completely shaken out of what has been, I guess, a season-long slump. Uh, but three home runs in as many games, I guess his streak ended on Sunday first time that he stacked up home runs in three straight games in over two and a half seasons. Uh, so uh, not that that's meant to sound like a slight. I guess it did uh, just a little bit, but a good it's weekend, a good little stretch here for Vladdy. And hopefully uh, that continues. Not that he's going to get three home runs in as many games uh, for the balance of the season or for the most part down the stretch of the season. Uh, but it seems like his swing is coming around a little bit. We'll talk with that. Uh, or yeah, about great, that with- uh, great, great to see. Uh, how many homers does he have in the month of September, Justin? That'd be four. So awesome three-game <laughs> stretch. Really, really nice. Could I see... It, try I, try you, to be a little positive. You know what? It. You know what? Here, I'm not asking for too much. I would like... Is that, Maybe this is asking for too much. 
I'd like three more homers in the 12 remaining games for the rest of the regular season. Is that... Which that, would bring him to... Is that way, way too much to ask? That would put him in a nice, very tidy 27. Okay. Which would be just perfect for mm. him. So that's all I'm asking. He did the thing for three straight games. That's too much to ask. You can't just ask somebody to go out and hit a homer every day. Uh, if you did that, you would be steroids era, Barry Bonds. Uh, and even he wasn't wasn't necessarily doing that, although I feel like he probably was when he wasn't getting intentionally walked. Felt like it. It's neither here nor there. That's all I'm asking. You've got four series left. Go hit three home runs. It is really not that much for me to ask. Seven in the month of September. You might get greedy and say four. I would never do such a thing with this team, <laughs> asking them to hit the ball over the fence more times than the absolute bare minimum anyone should expect. Well, well, they might need it. And, of course, it was the difference uh, Friday night, and uh, the home runs have been important for Vladdy of late, and hopefully important to him, helps him. Uh, and like other big hits from Volton Varsho, from Matt Chapman, if something can, something is meaningful, something can be latched onto, something can carry over, maybe it will come through in a big spot when it means even more over the course of the last four series. We'll talk a little Blue Jays with Kevin Barker at 8 a.m. we got David Sampson coming on at 7. We'll touch on the Blue Jays then. Uh, one of the more interesting stories of the weekend, though, is uh, centered in Columbus with Mike Babcock. First time for everything. Oh, with Mike okay. Babcock. Uh, the story continues here. He was either fired or resigned, uh, spitting chiclets. I guess they were on to something with his treatment of young players or at least his preparations being a little wonky. Uh, for his return to coaching, it's a uh, it's a wild story. But just days before training camp, two months before or since he was hired, which happened the day after he stopped making money from the Maple Leafs, and mm-hmm. four years since he last coached in the league, almost Babcock's return cut short. Your reaction to the Babcock news yesterday? My very first blush reaction as the story was trickling out was thinking back to the interview myself and Sam McKee did with him on this very show, oh, roughly a month ago, saying, oh, God, please don't let that look worse in the light of day. But we actually asked pointed questions, <laughs> so we're all good. We're all in the clear. I don't know if I can still use my drop of play well and hit them straight, man. I did really enjoy that when he told us to go enjoy our game of golf, but that's neither here nor there. I am surprised that it, Tended or that it trended this way. I saw the story come out. I, I think nobody came out. I mean, well, the Chicklets guys obviously were very adamant about what they were told, what they thought had happened. But I think everybody else, to varying degrees, thought, eh, was it like this or was it like this? And I'd feel one way if the scenario played out in this way, and I'd feel a very different way if it played out in another way. I am shocked that this story was enough to effectively force him out of the league. And I only say that to say that if this story was going to be enough to force him out of the league, and I'll park my own opinions on it for half a second there, that there, it was malpractice to let the league, let Columbus bring him back. And I don't say that to take Columbus off the hook or not make them own their part of this. They hired him. They wanted him. They talk about what a great man he is. You got to wear it and all that. But if you're the league and this story was going to be enough to ruffle feathers the the way it has i don't understand how you i guess he never needed to be reinstated this wasn't a quinville situation but Mm. i don't know how if you're the league you didn't put some more kind of guardrails on that that was my first blush reaction to it because you know this wasn't the story and you know forgive me if i get some of the details wrong this wasn't him kicking johan franzen on the bench that we understand this was him either looking through, asking to see players' phones. It's a weird story. I'd feel weird about my boss doing it, but 
I don't know that this is the this is the thing I would have seen as having him kind of pushed out of the league again. I'm I'm pretty surprised, and I think it's it's an odd decision by the league to have not put up more guardrails around this if this is the way they they kind of saw this incident playing out. That's my first blush reaction. Yeah, I mean it's 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 definitely a massive and sweeping hockey failure, right? Like I it definitely has gotten to a point where it's been more uh, more alarming or it's built and it's a resume and it's a portfolio of, I guess, wrongdoings that Mike Babcock has built here. Um, but you're right for Columbus to come in and, and hire him and say, you know, the right person, the right man, we did our due diligence. Uh, this was, this, we didn't like look the other way because it's Mike Babcock and look at his resume. Mm-hmm. Uh, they felt that this person had gone under some sort of reform and that he was changed and that he was different. And maybe he is, and maybe he, it was a pretty small mistake that got ballooned mm-hmm. or something that was good natured or well intentioned and executed the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But whatever happened here clearly rubs someone or a group of players the wrong way. And because of his reputation, and Elliot Freeman wrote last week that he has to be perfect in order to avoid scorn, that was true, mm-hmm. I suppose. And maybe he was far, far, far from perfect. But the reality of hiring Babcock was if he took one misstep, he was going to have the spotlight shone on him. And eventually it might lead to the situation we had, which was him getting fired or having to resign because of indiscretions within his own team. And again, this is a serial thing. You mentioned Franzen. It happened with the the Maple Leafs. Apparently this photo thing Mm -hmm. happened with the Maple Leafs. And of course we know the Mitch Marner story where he was told to rank players or teammates based on work ethic. And it was used against him. Like his tactics have are clearly not viable in today's NHL. Clearly players have more power now than they did when he was on the come up, when he was doing things perhaps to gain power over them Mm -hmm. in some weird way, but maybe just because he's a weird dude who can't socially interact with people. That is also definitely a possibility here. But what's interesting about this is that it kind of turns Columbus's entire organization into a bit of peril, right? Kind of For turns sure. it upside down because Kekalainen is on his last legs. John Davidson might be on his last legs in terms of their influence and their standing within the Columbus Blue Jackets organization. The captain Boone Jenner went out there and defended Mike Babcock. So how does his relationship with the room evolve? Was he being a bad captain because he didn't actually talk to his teammates about what happened? Was he getting the wrong information? Was he not getting what Paul Bissonette was getting in terms of information? Mm -hmm. Like it just seems like it could fracture everything. And now Pascal Vincent comes in and he's got to clean things up. And it just feels like this was God, that guy, that guy's, going to be the ultimate camp counselor. He's going to be like, hey, oh, yeah. it's good. we thought it's Sheldon, Sheldon Keefe with, with the music. The music. Oh, yeah, man. Music oh, let's all pass around the talking stick and we can all share how we feel about today's practice afterwards. Let's not share oh, photos, no. but we'll share feelings. Oh, it'll be, they'll be playing patty cake over there in, in Columbus. My goodness. This, I, the Jenner thing is interesting because I, it all depends where this comes from. And I think that everyone involved is going to do, you know, much like with the Mitch Marner thing, it was a problem internally. And then we all found out about it and it became a huge problem. Mm -hmm. So I think you're going to try to keep it pretty buttoned up, but you know, just quickly looking at their cap friendly. And I don't want to put this on any one of these guys, but if it is, Adam Fintilli, Kent Johnson, you know, Marchenko, Liam Foody, if it is the under 25 guys on your team, 
Who, Even guys of less importance. Yeah. Who, yes, right. Who had an issue with this. But the reason I picked those guys is yeah. because, you know, we could all talk about Boone Jenner and Johnny Goudreau as the, you know, the core of the Blue Jackets. But let's be honest, we've seen that core. And yes, it was good enough to beat the Leafs. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. But we know what the core of this team is. It is those. Sub- so, and they're young. Those are the Marners. Exactly. Right? And if those guys are the ones who were putting this to Chicklets or talking to the league or talking to Freed or whoever it was, then I think that is a huge problem for Boone Jenner. But if this was a bunch and I don't, I don't mean to say that this is less important or it was less bad because it happened to these players, but it does definitely carry less weight in the organization. If these are a bunch of guys who are hanging out at their prospect tournament, wherever it happens to be, who had these meetings with Babcock and it's you're in the fold of the organization, then I don't know that that is the death knell for, for Jenner and his captaincy. Now, like everything in the world in terms of what does this mean for the Leafs? <laughs> I would love Boone Jenner on the Leafs. I just want that. Okay. I just want that out yeah. on the record. I don't know that that's going to happen, but if there is a guy who needs to leave because there is a big schism and people hate the way this was handled, please start making calls. Brad for living, please, please, please. Cause I uh, very much like that player. I know, I know we're not talking about heaven forbid. I talk about the actual game of hockey played on the ice right now, but that that's the other part of this. I've been thinking of, if Boone Jenner needs to go and please let him because, oh, how dare he do it to these young kids? Oh, God, get me Boone Jenner as Leafs uh, 3C with David Camp uh, poking around down there. I know it doesn't work. The cap, it's terrible, but God, uh, I'd love it. You can always be creative. Uh, I mean, it's 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 uh, it's tough for Boone Jenner, though, because he gets dragged in by the spitting chicklets guys who actually said, hey, yeah. if we have any regret naming him, probably not the best thing. So he de- does become a part of it. He does stand up for Babcock. It might be so where someone's so, so low on the totem pole that he would even, you know, even even if he did his best, couldn't get to that player who was really, really offended by Matthew Stafford. I don't know any of these guys. Exactly. It it could have been a situation (laughs) like that because right now, and and the reality with Babcock is that it took one player and it might have just been one player. Mm -hmm. And even if one player, for whatever reason, hated Babcock for reasons beyond even what happened and just had a grudge. Yeah. Which we know that there are those guys. A, that could have been enough, right? Yeah. Like that, that that's and, and that's why perfection and that's why Elliot Friedman's uh article resonating is resonating with me with this news because that was the standard and Columbus failed failed to realize that. And now they have the situation now where Babcock comes out and says, Yeah, it's conti- continuing would be would be too much of a distraction, excuse me. And uh Columbus is left without a coach or with a change at coach do you think, two days before training camp. Do you think that's the kiss of death? And I, I He's done. again, there's no, well, no, 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 I'm not talking about Babcock anymore. The, and I, I cannot overstate this enough. These two things are completely different things. I'm not going to pretend to know how involved Quenville was with everything in Chicago, but just from a PR perception. And again, these things are not linked in any way, shape or form. Mm. Mike Babcock and Joel Quenville, but if you're the league, because, you know, in just hearing the way his candidacy was talked about, it always felt like, okay, let's get through this hiring cycle. Then it goes another year. You're into the summer of 24 before his name is bandied about. You're a year removed. We understand how things work. Bill Peters is, is slowly working his way back, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that this effectively puts a hex on Quenville coming back any anytime soon? They're not the same thing, but... You know the you know where people's brains are going to go in terms of PR and oh it's a retread and giving guys another chance. Yeah. Where do you think? 
I, I don't know. I don't know because because the pedigree I, I, is greater with uh, Quenville and rings, and it's more recent as well. It, it's close. It's probably the two most successful coaches yeah. over the last twenty years. Totally. Uh, both, uh, you know, sort of embattled by issues uh, that are beyond actually coaching hockey teams. I, I I feel like Babcock was a, you know, he committed the crime. Yeah. I guess again, yep. and I, I would say if. Joel Quenville ever, ever did something even remotely. And again, he was, he was bystander ish, but yep. he was involved. But again, if that like happened head in the sand, is probably the fairest criticism. And, and, yeah. and, the, and the head could belong in the sand. Right. I guess he could be sure. all hockey, but it would require something else to happen. Like yeah. they are definitely two different situations here. I think it may be another, Hey, if you're a team, are we, do we, do, do, do we want to welcome the headache uh-huh. thing? Because look at just w- what just happened. But Babcock getting back into hockey was to me much more of a stretch than Quenville mm-hmm. because Quenville had no problems from a coaching standpoint. From coaching hockey, he had no issue. He was still yep. maybe the best. Uh, and Mike Babcock has ran into issues everywhere he's been, and they welcome those same things. It was they're kind of apples and oranges. One, think- One is way more important and serious, but in terms of like coaching hockey, Mike Babcock's influence was certainly under question. And Quenville's has never been. No, I think the other part of it as well, and this isn't, I don't know how fair this is, but I think the difference between the two of them, let's just say, and, you know, we have no under, we have, I'm not of the belief that this happened because he hasn't been reinstated, so it'd be a moot point. But let's just say the Jackets came down to Quenville and Babs. That was the two guys they were looking at there. When you hire Mike Babcock, especially for that team, it's kind of like hiring a new NFL coach. It's almost like hiring in a totally different frame of mind and reference, Dan Campbell. He is the tone setter for the organization. That is why you went and hired Mm. him. It was so that we never have to talk about Boone Jenner or Johnny Goudreau or Kent Johnson or Fantilli or any of those guys. It's because he was supposed to be the one drawing all the eyeballs and the criticism. It just wasn't supposed to come in this way. Whereas if you hire Quenville, it is much more from a... It's almost to continue my football analogy. It's much more like handling a coordinator. They're coming in to do a job. They're just going to go. This isn't about a culture change. It could come from that, but that's not why it's the same way. So that's why I look at it as just two completely different. I'm with you that the coat from just a pedigree standpoint, seeing it work recently, all that stuff, Quenville made way more sense. But I also think that the jackets weren't necessarily hiring him for what he could do behind the bench. It was to give these long press conferences and be the guy taking all the arrows. And you just weren't going to necessarily get that out of, out of Quenville. Again, this isn't me defending the hire. I'm just explaining what I think they, they saw in him and why they went that route. Yeah. And if I'm doing, if I was doing order of go in terms of guys, I'd be more comfortable hiring in order and they'd be low on the list. Mm-hmm. Babcock would be higher on the list mm-hmm. for sure. Like if I was running the team, right. I, I, I would trust Quenville more with running my hockey team in terms of like just coaching right. hockey because Babcock has not had as much success mm-hmm. as he's been given credit for, but both have issues and Columbus again, welcome those issues by bringing Babcock in the fold there is, in terms of the Quenville Babcock thing though, there is one more variable that is new and that is Marty Walsh mm. who was very, very, I don't, I don't know how instrumental he was in all of this, but he was more involved than old Donald Fear, mm-hmm. I think, ever would have been. And this was really first the first story that Marty Walsh, Walsh was directly involved in in terms of getting his hands dirty and fighting for the players mm-hmm. or a player. And 
I don't know if his involvement will be so much stronger so that, hey, the Players Association will actually have influence and will make sure that things uh, are on the up and up and that players are protected. By, but if you go by one story, one incident, and if you want to believe that Marty Walsh was very, very involved in this, I mean, at least times are changing, it seems, from a player's standpoint. And maybe the thing that's even more powerful than that is spitting chiclets. Because this is a new thing in hockey media. Mm -hmm. This is a resource for players who want something to be out there but don't want to come out that with them with it themselves can go to to get stories across and i don't think there's been there might be something in, in other sports where this is applicable i mean lots of nba players have i was podcasts. gonna say have you have you Dream been on, on instagram Green. anytime this summer yes but this is this is an anonymous thing right mm -hmm. this was something a little bit different certainly in the hockey space maybe in the sports landscape itself but if if this is like proof of concept, mm -hmm. spitting chiclets as a trusted resource for players to go to may add a different layer to all of this when it comes to coaches that are semi-disgraced coming back mm -hmm. in the game or players who are semi-disgraced uh, who have still have involvement in the game or yep. something less uh, important or severe or critical than that. Spitting chiclets can have an influence on what happens in this league all of a sudden? And that is definitely true based on what we saw here with this Babcock story. I'll pick up on the chick fits part in a sec. I want to go back to where you started, though, with Marty Walsh and fear. Just look at look at the jobs those two guys have held. Marty Walsh is a politician. This guy was the mayor of Boston for a really, really long time. I believe he was been was involved in a governor's race as well. I would be shocked if this doesn't lead back to him being a politician again at some point in time. Whereas Donald Fear is a labor union guy. That's what he does. And this wasn't to say that he is less believing in the cause, but Marty Walsh is in this for the players and to do good with the union for sure. But to make sure in all those headlines, it is Marty Walsh and the NHL Players Association do X, Y, and Z. And hey, if that means they have a guy in their corner who's willing to take the fight, awesome. I would say, personally, again, like all conversations in hockey, it has to lead back to what does it mean for the Toronto Maple Leafs. If Marty Walsh wants to help the players, he should be forcing the league to find new streams of revenue so this cap can continue to rise because that is the thing that will help the league as a whole. It sure. is it kill. So let me just throw that in there. But that is why I think you're seeing him kind of take this tact as opposed to fear. Fear was the head of the union, but it was very much, okay, it's your union, guys. Go do what you want with it. I'm here as the legalese and to, you know, be at the top of it all, but it's your union. You tell me where you want to go. And clearly, he, Walsh, was, he, was, he like put up a suggestion box, yes, right? Exactly. Let me hear your suggestions, exactly. but I don't know what I'll, what, yes. what really happened. But uh, Walsh, maybe not a suggestion no. box guy. Maybe, uh, he wants hey, to go, I'll take a flight. Yeah, he wants to go get things yeah. done. Uh, the chicklets part of it to me is fascinating. Um, I think it's great that players have an outlet that they feel is a little more direct, that they're a little more comfortable with. And hey, they were right on this. So you have to give them their credit there. The part that makes me, I don't know, uneasy, maybe the best word to put it is, and those guys wouldn't tell you any differently. Those guys are not reporters. They're they're talking to players. They're getting the player side of things, and good. That is that is information we all want to have. Mm -hmm. But 
how much due diligence is being done. And again, they were right on this. I'm not saying that they didn't do it, but I don't, I don't think it's fair to say that they're putting on their fedora with the press pass in the side and really digging into the details. They're probably texting people they know. And is that how different is that from what reporters do? Well, it's not, but it is at the, at the exact same time. That is the part of it that makes me feel uneasy. If you're going to get into the news breaking part of it and again they were right so until they get one wrong we go we got to tip our hat and give mm-hmm. them the credit that's the part of it that i'm always a little uneasy is that somebody like babcock and hey he made his own bed i'm not wallowing for him but it's really easy to say okay yeah this is a safe one everyone wants to get their licks in let me go text everybody in the league what about if this was you know, I'm not even going to pick a name, but respected coach X throughout the league. Somebody we don't really think of even all that much. Just a generic coach. Would they have gone as hard? Maybe they wouldn't have because the Babcock lightning rod wasn't there. That's just the part of it that makes me feel uneasy. I, and I would, I don't want to make this a chicklets thing. I would feel just as much if this was NBA players on their podcast talking about it. When it is somebody who doesn't come from it with the lens of a reporter and I want to make sure I you know, cross all my T's, dot all my I's, those kinds of things. It makes me a little uneasy, but it doesn't mean that it's not good information. It doesn't mean that it didn't help yeah. lead to this exact story. Yeah, uh, I, th- for this story, clearly uh, the process worked. I mean, them being that outlet led to something that maybe was very important. But I guess the worry for me would be, can it be abused? Like if it's a suggestion box and all of a sudden, hey, I want to talk to Paul Bissonette because Paul Bissonette's so cool and he's got all these Twitter followers and like he is so powerful and I I, I just want to be in his circle. Mm-hmm. I could file a complaint or I could bring up something that may be misconstrued or hyperbolized or taken to a degree where it really wasn't. It feels like this could or at least has the potential to be somewhat dangerous. However, I will give them credit. They stood by their reporting. Uh, and they did their due diligence, I think, more than the Columbus mm-hmm. Blue Jackets in that they kept the conversation going and made it so that they weren't, uh, what they were doing was corroborated by multiple sources, or at least they were doing a lot of uh, chatting with players who are directly tied to the situation as we're led to believe. So at least it's not just, hey, one person felt this and it took on a life form that it shouldn't have and someone who didn't deserve to lose a job lost a job. Like that is possible here. But for now, and we shouldn't, at least I don't think we should have any reason to believe or expect that it will get there. Just the idea in my head is it's possible. Yeah, totally. I mean, hey, if if we could go back in time, wouldn't we have all loved Mitch Marner to have texted Paul Bissonette and say, oh my God, this guy made me give a list and he ratted me out mm-hmm. to Bozy. Wouldn't we have loved that? Of course we would have at the time. So I'm not knocking those guys for it. I just think that this is very much a all the stars perfectly aligning. It was guys who had good info and kudos to them. There's nothing precluding them from getting it in the in the future. But the other part of the stars all aligning is a guy that a lot of people have the knives out for and is yeah. quite frankly and I'm, this isn't me boohooing for him just a very easy target and I do wonder how differently they would have handled it again if it was NHL coach X who was doing this and it wasn't Babcock with all his baggage and all his history yeah Babcock Bissonette uh, in terms of stars aligning it's kind of it it, it filled every box yeah. in terms of this story existing and, check and, on and, and Mike being Commodore what it needed to be hopefully uh, he's doing okay that's the thing though he doesn't have the reputation that Paul Bissonnette. Yeah, so exactly. even then, it's a bit different and mm-hmm. a little bit more totally. reputable. Or maybe even now, a lot more reputable. Uh, 
Let's take a break. We mm. got a list on the other side. We'll continue our Blue Jays discussion starting at seven with David Sampson, Brendan D to talk a little NFL, Kevin Barker at eight, and then Elliot Friedman. We will uh, talk more about the Babcock situation with our NHL insider. It is the A list next. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the JD Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now it's time for hey, the A list. Bing bong. Bing bong. Bing bong. What's up, baby? Okay, we got to be super quick on this. Uh, are you swept up in the Colorado uh, Buffaloes and Deion Sanders and Coach Prime and all that? Yeah, let's go. Personal <laughs> from last week. Personal. Uh, they managed to eke one out against a team they were 23 point favorites over uh, Colorado State. My uh, buffs. But what I wanted to bring up is even before. That win, which mm-hmm. again, maybe knocks a bit of the shine off Colorado. No. Sunglasses on because it's shining in Colorado. Well, the sunglasses are making money now, too. Uh, sunglasses, apparently one point, over $1 million in sales. That was pre-game. That's pre-The <laughs> Rock and everyone being there. Uh, do you have any issue with Deion Sanders, like, I guess, pushing products through no, this entire thing? No. Oh, it's college football. It's all blood money, baby. Not like Saudi <laughs> Qatari blood money, but our very own North American blood money. Yeah. yeah, the players are finally getting paid. Good for Dion. Oh my God. No issue. No more of this, please. With the content although, play he gives although, a pair of sunglasses. Yeah, the next to person everyone. who tries this, I will. I just want to be on record saying I will hate this. I love this with Deion Sanders, but the carbon copy that will inevitably come along with someone one twentieth is cool. I'm going to hate, but this mm. all the way in. Yeah, I want I, I want everyone in college football to make their money because it's absolutely ridiculous. The blood money, as you put it, uh, is is definitely a truth. But this is going to come crashing down soon. And maybe this weekend with Oregon because they were supposed to absolutely handle this Colorado State team and they barely got by. And it may be ugly before it's uh, continuing on to be the story of college football sooner than later. I want him... I want him answering the point now. Uh, yes, but I also want to see him reacting to pointed questions. Uh, this guy's been taking victory laps after every presser. It's there's no bad outcome to this. He either keeps rolling and it's the f- most fun story in college sports, or he's going to get into fights and arguments with the reporters after every loss. And quite frankly, it's a win-win as far as I'm concerned. Oddly, it's the only story in college football that's that is even yeah, resonating we'll, with me slightly. We'll get excited about Caleb Williams uh, towards the end of the year. The probably first yeah, overall pick next year. Draft. We'll get excited about that. But for now, you're right. It's only Dion. Okay, busy string of guests to come on this show. Samson, D, Barker, Freeman. We'll start it off with some baseball talk with David Samson after the break.